Well, if you do have your Bibles with you, please turn in them to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see the Apostle Paul quoting, applying, and speaking about the fifth commandment, which is the commandment that we'll be considering uh, today from the Heidelberg Catechism. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of our God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May he again write this word upon our hearts this morning. Now please also look with me in your bulletin to the, at the confessional reading element. This morning we are confessing together Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39, which consists of question and answer 104. As always, we'll also be reading a portion of question 92, which is the catechism question that cites the Ten Commandments, but we'll just be reading from the Fifth Commandment. As always, I'll read the question if you'd please respond by reciting the answer. Question 92 asks, What is God's law? Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Question 104, What is God's will for you in the Fifth Commandment? that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline and also that I be patient with their failings for by their hand God wills to rule us. Well, boys and girls, what are the, the three main sections of our catechism? Micah? And uh, which section are we in? Gratitude. Gratitude, yes, very good. Now, what are the three elements of true faith? Uh, Violet? Knowledge, sent, trust. Yes, the other three. Knowledge, sent, and trust. Uh, And the content of this faith? Noel? Very good. And what benefit do we have when we profess this faith? Uh, uh, Lily? Christ's righteousness. Where does this faith come from? Where is this faith, Lily? Yes, the Holy Spirit uses the Word and the sacraments to both create and confirm this faith in our hearts. And um, what are the two keys of the kingdom? Two keys. Lily. Yes, preaching the Word in church discipline. Very good. Uh, now in this gratitude section, does anyone remember the three, the three elements of a good work? Three elements of a good work. All right, Lily. Very good. Yes, it proceeds from the internal to the external. True faith um, needs to come from true faith, conform to God's law, and be unto the glory of God. Now, what question does the first commandment answer? What question does the first commandment answer? Violet? Who we should worship? Yes. Now, what question does the second commandment answer? Noel? How 
how we worship and what question does, and the third commandment also um, in part answers that how question as well. This speaks to the language of worship. We are to, we are to um, worship God in a reverent way. Now, what question is the fourth commandment? Answer, the fourth commandment. Lily? When we worship. We worship on the Lord's Day. So the first four commandments are all about the worship of God. The who, the how, and the when. Now, today, we will be beginning a consideration of the second table of the law. You remember the division of the Ten Commandments? The first four speak to our love of God or our worship of God, while the second half or the last six speak about how we love our neighbor. And so these last six commandments deal specifically with how we love and serve our neighbor. However, as we consider the second table of the law, we can't forget about love for God because we are called in the second table to love and serve our neighbors, a means of loving God. So the first four commandments, we are seeking to love God directly. Well, the second table, we are loving God indirectly as we directly love and serve our neighbor. And so today we're, we're considering the fifth commandment, which explicitly deals with the relationship between children and parents. However, the fifth commandment and how the fifth commandment has been understood throughout the history of the church is that children obeying their parents is the, the, the proper and needed tutelage uh, for the making of good citizens in society. So you start in the home and that then leads to good citizens in society that then submit and obey to all other earthly authorities. Now the Bible is very clear that God is the one who established authorities. This is, I think, part of the way in which he sustains creation, sustains society. Is he sustains the authority structures that he has established within society. For instance, Romans chapter 13, Paul says in verses 1 and 2, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Paul very much understands authorities as being authorities that have been established by God. 1 Peter 2, Peter says in verses 13 and 14, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. As you read through scripture, you see that there's authority structure within the home. There's an authority structure within the church. And we reflected upon that a little bit as we thought about the keys of the kingdom a number of weeks ago. And there's authority structure within society as well. So we see authority structure in really every domain of life. And the Bible is clear that God is the one who's established these authorities. And so what we're going to do uh, this morning is we're going to consider first how, what, what the fifth commandment directly says in, relation, in terms of the relationship between children and parents, and then we're going to re reflect upon the broader applications uh, of the fifth commandment, how the fifth commandment also speaks to every person's relationship to every earthly authority. Throughout the history of the church, uh, the church has realized and um, interpreted the fifth commandment as speaking uh, more broadly than just to the home. It speaks to our relationship with every legitimate authority in society. 
So first we're going to begin with what the fifth commandment has to say within the home. So we read, of course, from Ephesians chapter 6, which is the Apostle Paul's application of the fifth commandment to the church in Ephesus. And you'll notice that he specifically addresses children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Now, boys and girls, this would have been very countercultural in the first century. If you were a, a, a child in Ephesus, your eyebrows probably would have raised as, as the epistle to the Ephesians would have been read to you because in that culture, children were never addressed in public assemblies. And so the fact that Paul addressed children is very countercultural and is part of, the reasons why, part of the reason why we believe that children, by virtue of uh, the faith of their parents, are, are members of God's people and covenant and should then receive the sign of membership in that covenant through the waters of baptism. So Paul directly addresses children here in Ephesians chapter 6 and notice what he says. He says, children, the fifth commandment directly applies to you. The law of God applies to you. You are to obey your parents. And the catechism very helpfully fleshes out what it means to obey your parents. Notice that it says that um, you are to show honor, love, and faithfulness to your father and mother. Uh, You are to submit yourself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. And so, boys and girls, you are to submit yourself to the good teaching and instruction of your parents. Your parents are wiser than you. They've lived longer than you have lived. They have many more experiences than you have. And there's a lot of wisdom in the fact that you have parents. And so you are to submit yourself to their instruction and correction. Imagine in a hypothetical world that your parents were the same age as you. And they were no wiser than you. They had no more experiences than you, and you were just trying to figure this thing out together. That would be terrifying and chaotic. There's a lot of wisdom in the fact that you have parents, and you are called then by God to submit to their good teaching and instruction. Uh, the Catechism also says that part of this obedience means that we, you are to, to submit to their discipline, meaning you are not to rebel against that discipline, but accept the consequences of, of your actions. Now, we all, even as adults, are still under this, uh, this commandment. We're called to show um, honor, love, faithfulness to our parents, um, even as adults. But now notice that Paul says that children are to obey, obey in the Lord. Meaning that when you obey your parents, you are ultimately obeying God. And when you're disobeying your parents, you're disobeying God. As I said before, the fifth commandment, yes, we are loving and serving our parents, but we are loving and serving our parents as a means of, of loving and, and, and glorifying God. And John Calvin says that we're doubly bound by this fifth commandment. He, he, he talks about how nature itself reveals this commandment. And people, scores of people throughout history have recognized the wisdom of children obeying their parents. Uh, people and, and, and societies who, who, who have known nothing of the Bible. There's a common sense element to the fact that children should submit and obey their parents. However, we as Christians, we have the Bible, we have the law of God, and thus we are explicitly told in the fifth commandment that we are to obey our parents. And so we are doubly bound by this fifth commandment. We know it by nature and we know it through God's written word. Now, in verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians 6, Paul quotes the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment, which, um, 
many views on what that means, but it may be this is a first order commandment. It's an important commandment. Um, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, Paul quotes the fifth commandment, and he seems to quote it in such a way as that promise of living long in the land applies to us, applies to the church in Ephesus. Now, we and the church in Ephesus um, did not obviously live in Palestine. They didn't have, we don't have the promise of a long life in an earthly piece of real estate. And so what is Paul doing here? Why does he quote the promise element of the fifth commandment as if it applies to us as, as new covenant Christians? This is especially perplexing when in the first century, is estimated that, that nearly one half of all children died before the age of six. And so he's speaking in that context and, and seems to suggest that if you obey your parents, you're going to live a long life. When there are scores of people throughout history and in his own day that were obedient but yet died at a very early age. And so what, what does Paul mean when he quotes specifically the promise element of the fifth commandment? What, seems, what Paul seems to be getting at here is that life generally goes better for those who obey their parents. Life generally goes better for those who obey their parents. And boys and girls, you probably can attest to this. Think of those days in which you were, you were disobedient. You spoke back to your, your parents. Did, did you enjoy the rest of your day? Did you probably experience the consequences of your actions? No, your rest of the day was probably somewhat miserable as you had to reap the consequences of your sin. And when you heed the good instruction and discipline of your parents, life goes better, not just in, in the immediate context, but in the days, months, and years ahead. And so this is, seems to be what Paul's getting at. He, 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 he's quoting it as sort of a proverb. So when you read the book of Proverbs, you're reading sayings that are generally true, but not always true because we live in a fallen world. And so Paul is saying, ordinarily, life tends to go better for those who obey their parents. And this is true not just for Christians, but even for Non-Christian children who obey the good instruction and discipline of their parents, life tends to go better for them because this is a very natural institution that God has established in the family. Now, you'll notice in verse 4, Paul also seems to, to think that the fifth commandment also applies to authority figures, to parents. So notice he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So children are to submit to the good teaching and Discipline and parents then have the responsibility of teaching, of instructing, of disciplining, which is one of the reasons why when uh, parents present their children for baptism in, in our churches, they are to respond to a vow. They are to affirm that they will seek to the best of their ability to raise that child in the Christian faith, to teach that child. Parents also have the responsibility of, of teaching their children how to live well within the bounds of this created universe, as we thought about a little bit in Psalm 104. How do we live wise lives in this world in which God has placed us? And so the Fifth Commandment speaks to children, also speaks to parents. However, as I mentioned, throughout the history of the church, the church has interpreted the Fifth Commandment as also applying more broadly to all of our relationships to all earthly authorities. 
And so I'd like to spend a, a, little, a little bit of time here thinking about how this extends beyond the home. So even in the context of Ephesians, you see that Paul speaks about the relationship between husband and wives. Uh, he'll speak about the relationship between slaves and masters. Slaves are to submit. Masters are to be benevolent to their uh, slaves. And some have extended that comment or that, um, those comments of Paul to how we are to relate to one another as employees and employers. When Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, which, we, which I quoted a few moments ago, Paul tells Christians in the first century to submit, obey, honor, the civil magistrate, which at that time was Nero, who was obviously no friend to Christians, but they were still called to honor the emperor, honor governors sent by him, as Peter says. The author of the Hebrews calls Christians to honor and obey and submit to elders within the church. So the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So we see authority structure in the home, authority structure um, in churches, authority structure in civic society. And so we are called to honor, submit, and be patient with all of the authority figures in our life, whether they are just or unjust. 1 Peter 2.18 says this, Peter says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It's easy to submit, to honor good, just, godly, benevolent authority figures. In fact, we probably wouldn't need to uh, have all the imperatives that we have in the New Testament to submit if every authority figure was a great authority figure. But that's not the case in the fallen world. And so Peter says, servants, honor, submit to your masters, whether they be just or unjust. This is why our catechism includes at the end of this fifth commandment, it says that we are to be patient with the failings of our leaders, for by their hand, God wills to rule us. We are to be forbearing. We are to be patient with their failings. John Calvin says in his comment, comments on the fifth commandment, he says, it makes no difference whether our superiors are worthy or unworthy of our honor. For whatever they are, they have attained their position through God's providence. So we are called to honor, submit, obey to all of our legitimate earthly authorities, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in terms of government or in the church. We are called to honor, submit, and be patient, be patient with even their failings. Now, just as it does in the home, the fifth commandment also speaks to authority figures. It tells them that you do not lead or rule autonomously from God. You are under God's authority and stand under his judgment, under his accountability. And this is true, as we talked about, with parents, but it's also true of elders within the church. Uh, Paul's very clear, author of Hebrews is very clear, that elders have, uh, will have to give an account to God how they have shepherded the souls of those who have submitted to their care. We see this in terms of civil magistrates. Paul says in Romans 13 that they are under God's authority and ultimately accountable to him. 
Paul says in Ephesians 6, 9 that masters, masters are to be benevolent and good to their slaves. And so uh, we see that, that leaders, people who have authority, are accountable to God in how they use that authority. Now, of course, there are exceptions to this general principle, just as there are with really every commandment of, of God. There's the general principle, and then there are exceptions. And we could probably think of many hypothetical situations in which children should not obey their parents, in which employees should not obey their employers, or citizens should not obey their, their government magistrates. Um, we have to remember that the fifth commandment comes in the second table of the law, meaning the fifth commandment is a means of us ultimately loving and honoring God. And so if we're in a situation in which we are called to submit to an authority figure, but in submitting to that authority figure we are dishonoring God, well then, well then that's an exception. And we see such an exception found in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles have been told by the Jewish authorities to no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And this is where they respond in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. They claimed an exception to the fifth commandment there. Now, we as Americans are very quick to claim exceptions to the fifth commandment. It's in our blood. Egalitarian, American, democratic spirit. We love exceptions to the fifth commandment. And there are legitimate exceptions to the fifth commandment. However, if we know our own context, we would do well to consider long and hard the principle that we are to honor, obey, and be patient with all our authority figures. You know, Paul could tell, Peter and Paul could tell first century Christians to honor Nero, right, who was absolutely no friend to Christians, then we should think long and hard how we should honor authority figures who are at times wicked, ungodly, who share radically different convictions and beliefs that we have, how do we honor them, not just in our actions, but in our attitude? We need to think long and hard how we are to do that because our consciences are bound by this fifth commandment. And we can't just claim exceptions when we don't feel like submitting, feel like honoring, feel like being patient. Um, so again, this is the destination, as it were, of, of, or part of the destination of our moral life. And we are to, to use wisdom to reflect and consider how we can best pursue this end of God's law. How do we best display honor, obedience, submission, and patience towards our authority figures while at the same time being true to our convictions and beliefs? One conclusion, I'd like to, to reflect upon how Jesus fulfilled and obeyed this commandment, this fifth commandment. We see in his earthly ministry as, as, he was, as he was growing up that he himself obeyed his earthly parents. As a youth, in Luke chapter 2, verse 59, we are told explicitly by Luke that Jesus, after he went off in, in Jerusalem to teach in the temple, he returned to Nazareth, Nazareth and was submissive to Mary and Joseph. The boy Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. But more importantly, we learn on a, on a number of occasions throughout the Gospels that Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father. So for instance, in John chapter 6, verse 38, we read, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came not to do his will, but he came to submit to the will of his Father. And what was the will of his father? 
Well, it was to die a cursed death on the cross. So think about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his death, praying that this cup might pass from his lot. And what does he say? He says, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus perfectly submitted to the will of his Father, even though it meant death, even though it meant him drinking the cup of his Father's wrath. And because Jesus perfectly obeyed the fifth commandment, not only in terms of his relationship with his earthly parents, but ultimately in terms of his relationship with his heavenly Father, we have the freedom of being able to obey the fifth commandment without the fear of punishment, without the threat of curse hanging over our heads. That's the freedom we have as Christians. It's, it's really interesting how Jesus turns this commandment on its head as he fulfills it on our behalf. Uh, in John chapter 12, verse 26, we read, If anyone serves me, Jesus is speaking, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Essentially what Jesus is saying is that if you come to me by faith, if you're my follower, my disciple, what will happen on the last day is that my Father will honor you. Think about how extraordinary that is. The fifth commandment calls inferiors to honor superiors. But here, because of Christ's work on our behalf, we have the hope of one day the Father honoring us, sinful but redeemed creatures. And so we are called yet again to place our hearty trust in Christ, his performance on our behalf, and we are to seek to, yes, imperfectly continue to obey this first commandment, this fifth commandment, out of gratitude for him.